Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Positive Talk Podcast with co-hosts Julie Homridge and Chuck Allen. They are in Season 2, merging faith and psychology, and you picked a great day to join in the conversation. At Positive Talk Podcast, a licensed therapist and a pastor join voices to help us all discover a more peaceful and purpose-filled life. So settle in and join Julie and Chuck for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Hello, it's a great day to find an encouraging and meaningful word here at the Positive Talk Podcast. And thanks for that introduction. My name is Julie Homrich. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I'm here to help bring you some practical and hope-filled information about worry, anxiety, and what to do if you notice either of those in your life. So as you may have noticed, I am missing my good friend and pastor, Chuck Alan today in the podcast, but don't worry, he will be rejoining us soon. Now, the topic that I'm going to discuss today is relevant and it's guaranteed to affect someone in your life, if not you, and if not now. So this week and next, we'll be focusing a little bit more heavily on the psychology or mental health aspect of our faith and psychology focus here at the Positive Talk podcast. So we're going to help you understand today how to identify signs of anxiety and next week, depression in your life and in the lives of the people around you. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in today. So for those of you who have experienced anxiety in your own life, you know that heart-pounding, head-spinning sensation that you experience when you're anxious, and it can make it feel like whatever is right in front of you needs to be either rushed through or avoided at all costs. Now, clinical anxiety, it can be debilitating, but it is actually one of the most treatable mental health conditions around. Now, I want to repeat that for those of you who feel like maybe, okay, well, I've always had anxiety. I just always will. I'm just learning to deal with it. In the mental health world, we actually view anxiety as a very treatable condition. You just need to be able to recognize it for what it is and seek help for it. So let's talk about this. How do we determine if what we are experiencing in our day-to-day life is just basic everyday worries or if it warrants further professional help for something like anxiety? Now, many of us have had seasons where we're more anxious than usual, right? I mean, sometimes it seems like we're worrying about more things more often. And at times we may have asked ourselves, okay, is is this getting a little out of hand? This seems like it's increasing. It seems like it's a little much. Now today we could talk through the DSM diagnosis requirements for anxiety that clinicians use, but that can get a little bit wordy. So today I'm going to pare it down to something even more specific. Now, when I was going through the criteria for an anxiety a disorder, as well as considering my clinical experience in working with people in the counseling setting, I decided to develop this acronym. And it isn't comprehensive by all means, but I think it does give us a good start in determining anxiety symptoms. So I use the acronym FAST, F-A-S-T. And for those of you with anxiety, you can probably relate to this, right? This feeling of things being fast. You may have consistently fast thoughts. 
You might have a fast heart racing. You may be prompted to make fast decisions just to avoid sitting in the anxiety of the unknown. But today, I'm going to kind of spell this out a little bit, what this actually looks like. And I'm going to break it down into these four categories. For fast, we look at F for functioning, A for avoidance, S for severity, and T for time. So I'm going to repeat that. F is for functioning, A, avoidance, S, let's look at the severity of the anxiety, and T for time. So I'm going to start with functioning. Now, when anyone enters in a therapist's office, you might be wondering, okay, what are they looking for? What are they, you know, what's going on in their head when I walk into this office and I'm trying to get help and support? So one of the main things that we consider is this, we look at the symptoms, we get an idea of what's going on, and then we ask questions to determine, are these symptoms interfering with your daily functioning? Okay. So that's what the F stands for. Once again, functioning. Now, when we think about it, some anxiety is actually good. Okay. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know about that, but let's, let's think about it. Anxiety at times, it actually motivates us for change and for action. Now we feel the physical and the mental symptoms of anxiety before big events, presentations, even social events that we're actually really excited about. Now, interesting research shows that a reframe here can be really helpful when we start having anxious thoughts about an upcoming event. When we replace the words, I'm nervous or I'm anxious with I'm excited, because they do kind of feel similar, anxiety or nervousness and excitement. When we, when we replace that, we actually yield more positive outcomes. So you might want to give that a try this week whenever you start um, feeling nervous. If it's something that you're actually excited about, um, replace it with the term I'm excited. But what happens when our anxiety is actually preventing us from attending those events in the first place or leading us to consistently leave early because we just can't seem to enjoy ourselves due to our anxiety. Now that's when anxiety is affecting our daily functioning. And that also leads us to the A in the FAST acronym, avoidance. Now the tricky thing about anxiety is that when we experience it, nobody wants to feel anxious, right? So when we experience anxiety, it kind of leads us to want to avoid the thing that initially brought up those anxious feelings, whether it's a person, a situation, a thought about the future. However, the paradox of anxiety is that the more we avoid what we feel anxious about, the more we train our brain that that event or person or presentation is actually more threatening than it really is. And what that does is that leads us to avoid even more and then that increases our anxiety. So when we avoid things, we actually teach our brain that, okay, there really is something to be afraid of here. Maybe my worst case scenario really will come true. However, when we stop and we face into our anxieties, with appropriate support if needed, what we do is we actually rewire that pathway. And that pathway used to associate that kind of feared experience with a negative outcome. 
or the worst case scenario. But then when we face into it and we see that perhaps it's not as bad as we thought it would be, or we look at facets of that experience that were actually good and growth producing, then we create a new neural pathway. And then we begin to associate whatever that experience was with more positive outcomes. So this is a part of rewiring your brain, and this is how we effectively work through anxiety. Now, if you have ever experienced this kind of crippling anxiety or seen it in a loved one, you'll start to notice that when they give into the anxiety repeatedly, the world becomes smaller and smaller. Because here's what inevitably happens. The list of things that are safe enough for an anxious brain continues to diminish the more you avoid things. So what anxiety tells us is that's not that's not 100% safe, so I can't do it. We need to learn how to recognize what's safe enough and begin to work through that. If we don't, what, what will happen is this. At first, when you avoid, you may be avoiding a particular person at a party, and then it becomes avoiding the party altogether. At first, it may look like not going to a certain part of town, but then it becomes the surrounding area. And before you know it, you're not leaving your house. So avoidance, it's a key sign that you may be struggling with something more than just situational worry and perhaps need to take a look at some of this anxiety. If you find yourself avoiding things on a regular basis due to your anxiety, it's probably time to get some more support. Now, avoiding things that spark anxiety, it affects our functioning and it increases the severity of the anxiety. So that leads us to our next letter in the FAST acronym, S for severity. Now, Anxiety actually runs along a spectrum. Okay, so you could be perhaps a little bit anxious, moderately anxious, moderately to severe and or severely anxious. Now, as I mentioned, there's this sense of healthy anxiety, right? It notifies us of a concern or it motivates us to make a change. Now, whereas healthy anxiety uh, motivates us and notifies us severe anxiety paralyzes us from acting on that concern that we've seen or making that change that we've noticed. So healthy anxiety motivates us. Severe anxiety debilitates us. So if you start to notice that your anxiety is increasing in severity, it may be time to get some additional support. And finally, take a look If you're looking at anxiety, let's take a look at the time you spend focusing on these particular thought patterns. That's the T in our FAST acronym, TIME. If you have anxiety or know someone who does, you're likely to hear them talk about the incredible mental energy their anxiety takes up in their mind. Now, therapists call this ruminating. You may call it thoughts that won't stop running through my head. Now, in a healthy thought process, and I want to distinguish between the two because I think sometimes if we've lived our whole lives with anxiety, we don't even know what it might feel like to not be anxious. So I'm going to distinguish that here. In healthy thought processes, we notice our thoughts, we might experience them or feel them, and then we direct them toward action 
or we release them. Okay. But anxious thinking is when we find ourselves more often than not stuck in our thought patterns. This is when we may be replaying a conversation we had with someone over and over for days, or we may have difficulty if we're perceiving in our anxious mind that others didn't understand our intentions about something and moving forward due to the anxiety, we may be unable to enjoy the conversation or the relationship with that person because of those anxiety provoking thoughts continually intersecting um, in our, our thoughts and our conversations. So if your thoughts run more like a broken record versus going through the tracks on a fluid album, you may be struggling from anxiety. Okay, so now that we've talked through a couple of indicators, what do we do with all of this info? Uh, Some of you may feel anxious right now just thinking about this. You're like, oh, no, do I have anxiety? Does my child have anxiety? I'm anxious about my anxiety now. Thanks a lot, Julie. But let me start by reassuring you, as I did at the beginning of this podcast, that anxiety is very, very treatable and it has great outcomes in the treatment. There are so many options a mental health professional could take, but two main ones are CBT. It stands for cognitive behavioral therapy, which is examining your thought patterns and exposure therapy, which is helping you um, expose yourself to the things that you're afraid of in a measured way. So if you're struggling with anxiety or someone you know is, I highly recommend walking through counseling with a trained professional, because here's what they can do. They can help you identify which of your specific thought patterns are keeping you stuck and perhaps which areas you need to gently face into an exposure therapy and to what degree. So there's a whole measured process in this. A therapist isn't just going to throw you into the deep end to just hope you swim. There's a measured process of exposure and support that a trained therapist can help you walk through. Okay, so now that you know a little bit about how to identify anxiety and what you need to do to get some support, I want to take the rest of this podcast and I want to share a few simple tips that can help you now, today. Um, So the first thing that I would encourage you to consider this week as you think about this is to remember this phrase, don't believe everything you think. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Don't believe everything you think. Now, this is a challenging aspect for many people with anxiety because the mechanism of anxiety is that sometimes we believe that if we just think hard enough about something and long enough about it, we'll finally come to a place of peace about it. We want to figure it out so desperately that our minds just tend to run on this sort of hamster wheel. And we don't realize that even though we're exerting a lot of energy, we're not actually going anywhere. So anxiety, it runs off of what we call in the therapeutic world, cognitive distortions. Okay, so these are just exactly how they sound. Cognitive is a way of thinking and distortion. Um, These are thought patterns that are distorted or incomplete. Now, I'm going to be posting some examples of these on our Positive Talk podcast Instagram this week, but I'm going to share three main ones right now just to get you started. The first cognitive distortion that I think we all do at times is something called 
catastrophizing. It's a long word, but essentially it just means that when we're catastrophizing, we are automatically assuming the worst case scenario will happen without considering mindfully that there could be perhaps a neutral or even positive outcome to the situation. Now, I think sometimes why our brains do this is because they're sort of bracing us for disappointment, right? I mean, sometimes we think that if we think through the worst case scenario and we prepare ourselves for it, then it won't hurt as bad. We won't feel that blow of rejection as much if something bad were to happen. We're kind of trying to desensitize ourselves to it. Here's the challenge with this way of thinking. We are actually more likely to experience negative things if that's what we are expecting. So if you think about it, I was driving this morning and I was looking on the side of the road and I had to shift my gaze back to uh, the road because as I was looking into the ditch, my car started kind of veering that way. So what we focus on, if we stay focused on it, we eventually head in that direction. So if we're constantly thinking about the worst case scenario, uh, sometimes our decisions begin to kind of, we, we begin to act as if that will already is if that will happen, um, when the fact is it might not happen. When we do that, it can become a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. So next time you catch yourself going into the worst case scenario and assuming that you won't be able to handle it, I'm going to give you a little phrase that I use often. You can take a moment and remind yourself of this truth. And I've said it before, I think on this podcast, and I, I think it's just so important when we really grasp this. We can tell ourselves, whatever I'm afraid of may or may not happen, but God is with me and together we can handle it. We don't want to avoid reality by just saying, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. Anybody who's experienced anxiety knows that that just doesn't work, right? Our anxious brains don't fall for that. They're going to be asking questions. How do you know I'm going to be fine? What percentage of certainty do you have that I'm going to be fine, right? So when we do that, we're actually sometimes making things worse. Instead, we can remind ourselves that yes, hard things do happen in this world, but it may or may not actually happen. And even if it does, I'm resilient. I'm not alone. And I will be able to move through it. Now, where I find that that I or my clients often get tripped up on this phrase, where we kind of find it hard to implement, it's in one of two parts. The first part, do I truly believe that God is with me? Okay, God is with me and together we can handle it. Do I believe truly that God is with me? You know, I've been through some very, very difficult things in my life personally, and each and every time I've sensed the presence of God, even if I didn't know that that's what it was during the actual event. So whenever my brain goes into anxiety mode, and yes, even as a therapist, this happens, um, I remind myself that the same God who was with me in the most difficult moments of my life will be with me if I encounter more difficult moments in the future. Now, the second part of this phrase, together, we can handle it. 
that prevents another, it presents another kind of sticking point for some. So you can ask yourself this question. Do you really believe that God is for you and with you and empowering you? Not just everyone else, but you. And I think this personalized sense of empowerment, it's another clear way that we can face into our anxiety and shift some of those unhelpful thoughts. Now, the second thing that we do, and if you want to kind of get a hang, get a hold on your anxiety, um, consider if you engage in something called selective abstraction. Okay, this is fancy therapy word for when we take one piece of information and we focus on it to the exclusion of all the other pieces of information. Okay, so this is like zooming in on something, getting fixated on one piece. If this this is like if you went to a party and you focused solely on the one person who gave you what you perceived as a weird look one time and ignored the hours of smiles from everyone else, then you would be engaging in this cognitive distortion of selective abstraction. So what's a solution for this? Picture yourself zooming out. Okay. Ask yourself, what would come into focus for me if I zoomed out on this scenario? See if you can notice the things that were maybe formerly in the background when you were just so fixated on what you perceived as the negative, or maybe allow yourself to kind of see this scenario as a story and try to look at it from the perspective of the other characters in the book. So that can help with that. Now, finally, a cognitive distortion to be on the lookout for related to anxiety is something called overgeneralization. So I'm going to say that again, overgeneralization. Now, this is similar to catastrophizing, but it's taking an actual moment in time and generalizing that one snapshot, that one moment in time for all of time. Okay, so for example, if you didn't do great at one speech, you assume you'll never do good at any speeches in the future or even anything that involves talking or even standing up in front of people. Okay, so what do you do if you catch yourself doing this? I encourage clients to get into lawyer mode. Don't allow your brain to bully you into thinking that one area of your life defines every area. You can search diligently for evidence to the contrary. You could think about, okay, well, yeah, maybe I didn't do great at that presentation, but I did stand up and give a toast at my friend's wedding, and that was wonderful. Another way to reduce overgeneralizing is to utilize the phrase that Chuck and I spoke about last week when we were discussing hope. Now, it's one simple word, but it can help you significantly improve your state of mind, and that's the word yet. This could look like you saying to yourself, okay, so maybe I wasn't great at that speech, but it doesn't mean I'm never going to be able to give a speech. It just means that I'm not proficient at it yet. And this is really, really helpful with kids because kids tend to be masters of overgeneralizing. They're developing brains. They don't really know yet how to understand nuances about things. So if they fail at one thing, they can easily go all the way down the rabbit hole to, I'm just a failure and my life is over. And so if you want to, you can softly remind them that maybe they just don't have this skill mastered yet. 
And that can provide a huge mindset shift for them as they learn and as they grow. So in wrapping up today, I am missing Chuck's unique way of taking all of this clinical information and putting it into his Pascaresque style, his personable approach. But in an attempt to do that here today, I'd like to remind our listeners that one, not only is anxiety common, but it's a very, very treatable. Two, take a moment. Consider that FAST acronym today. Take a look at whether anxiety is interfering with your functioning, if you're avoiding things out of fear and it's becoming more severe, and if this is happening more times than not in your life. You know, we have a God who incessantly encourages us to fear not. And although I know it can feel like it's not always as easy as just taking those two words to heart, we are here to help support you as you navigate the process. And it is a process of moving through anxiety into what we all desire in our lives, which is just a sense of peace. So I want to thank you all so much for joining me on this week's Positive Talk podcast, where we actively merge faith and psychology to help you live your best life possible. We'll be back next week for another episode. And remember, you can always find all of season one and season two of the Positive Talk podcast on our website at positivetalkpodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Positive Talk Podcast. So thanks so much for joining me this week. And I'll go ahead and say it for Chuck. We hope you go in peace today and every day. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Julie and Chuck will be back next Thursday with another positive conversation as they merge faith and psychology. Have a great day. And as always, go in peace. Go in peace.